They see me rolling, they hate ink. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Trucking printers. The ultimate Easter egg. And V8 Apple II. All these riveting stories and so much more coming up on today's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, guys. Another week, oh. another This Week in Retro. How are you hey, doing? Darren. Good. Very you? Well. Yeah, good, good. Had a really busy public day uh, on Saturday at the cave. And um, a really nice thing happened. Uh, Mike Daly um, of DMA Design Lemmings, um, Grand Theft Auto. That, that, I, I nearly forgot that one there. That, that tiny game, Grand Theft Auto, that no one's heard of, um, of that fame booked a ticket and just came and hung out for the day. And, and it was really nice. And of course, there was lots of lemmings chat and lots of people wanting um, to, to get him to sign boxes and things like that. Um, and uh, well, I asked him some questions. So I've got some things to hold up here. I wanted to know what this was for a start. It's a, a lemmings demo disc, but it's packaged. So it's a for listeners, it's a floppy disk sized package, like an envelope all wrapped up with lemmings on the front and demo disc. Uh, and I wanted to know, were these just handed out? What was the purpose of these? And he told me that these went to shops and they were actually sold. Wouldn't have been very much, but you, ha you had to buy the Lemmings demo as if you wouldn't have already got it off, off the front of a magazine. But if you then went back to the shop and bought the game, the idea was they were supposed to knock the price of this off. So you would effectively get it for free if you bought the game. So um, that's still sealed. That's a nice little sort of collector's item for the Lemmings fan. That's almost sheer wear then, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, I guess it is almost. Yeah, yeah. Not free. It's not, but it's the same kind of idea. Yeah, yeah. And here's the other thing that he dropped off. Now, this is not for us to keep, but we're going to help him fix it and no doubt make a video on it. This is, and for listeners, I'm opening a large box with a PCB inside. The only known Lemmings arcade board prototype in existence. So, oh, um, no. it was a collaboration with Data East. Um, it's got some problems with it. So the electronics guys downstairs are going to have a crack at fixing that. And then hopefully it's designed to work with a trackball in an arcade machine. Hopefully we can see uh, lemmings on on the original real hardware for the arcade. Now, the ROMs have already been dumped, so you can play it on MAME. But, you know, it'd be great to get that working. So that was a really exciting thing to, to see. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah just just... Things like this just happen just through the, the sheer fact that we have the cave here. We have it open. People come to visit. They want to celebrate all this stuff. And this is kind of the magic that happens. It's, it's amazing, and I love it. Um, so I'm in a good, good mood this week. Dave, how's your week been? I've been playing Ultima 7 through again, yet again. I love Ultima 7. Yeah, so do you, Neil. So I've do you. I've got a box copy here, which I've shrink-wrapped oh. myself. <laughs> um, you can really see where games like Morrowind and Skyrim and so on come from. They, they really have their roots in, in Ultima 7. It did so many things for the first time. Um, such a such a good game. Unfortunately, some things haven't aged so well, but it's it's a great game overall. I'm loving playing through it. Distributed by Mindscape on the back of my box. That's I don't right. know if that was mm. exclusive to the UK and who distributed it elsewhere. I think so. It says, each Ultima game can be played separately or in any order. So they're making sure on the box that you know you don't have to be a, a long-term player. And then the, I love the sticker on the front. It says, 386 Power, designed for today's 386 computers with two megabytes of RAM. Wow. Feel, power. Yeah. Feel the power. Yeah. 
great game. Chris, uh, there will be more Ultima chat later on, I've seen from the show notes. Chris, how's your yes. week been? Yeah, not too bad. Nothing retro-y other than I'm really champing at the bit to get back to the UK in July because there are some some semi-expected and some very unexpected gifts waiting for me from very kind people um, yeah. because obviously there are a lot of contacts in the UK. People have been sending stuff to a, a contact that I've got over there, so pretty excited about that. Other than that, I... Um, yeah, just a fitness weekend, going mountain biking with some mates and then covering up the fitness part of it by going to the pub and drinking and eating lots. So sort of a, a, a fitness neutral weekend is what I've just had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And yeah. you won't be giving us the gift of your presence when you're in the UK. I won't get to see you this time, Chris. You're too busy. No, no, too busy. It's only just over two weeks and I've just got to see my mum. Yeah. So that's yeah. why I'm popping over. Catch up with mum and family enough. and then yeah. I tail it back again. Yeah. Fair enough. Dave, you know what time it is. It is. Let's do it. It has been a while since we gave you a reminder of how this show works. So here we go. Each week, the three of us will pick one story each from whatever has been submitted to the subreddit. So that's www.reddit.com slash r slash this week in retro. And we'll typically pick the more popular submissions, but we'll also be on the lookout for what we think will be an interesting thing to talk about and spark off a discussion. We rely on people submitting stories, but you can also go in there and hit the up and down arrows on them to help us decide what interests you. And you can also comment the submissions and chat to each other on there. Yeah, that's right. And um, I think most of you get the gist of how this works, but new listeners are always joining us. So if you're new to the show, welcome. And what we also do is we put a question of the week over on that subreddit. You hear the question at the end of every show. We look forward to reading your answers and the top three answers um, each week we read out at the end of the show. But you don't need to do that if you don't want to. It's absolutely fine just to listen. There are plenty of people that do help contribute in the subreddit. Sometimes if, if it, we see a story that we really think you'll like and um, nobody else has submitted, we'll even submit them ourselves to the subreddit and see if you upvote them, which I think Chris even did this week for one of our stories, didn't you, Chris? Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> so join in if you like. Don't join in if you don't want. Lend us your ears. Any way that you want to consume This Week in Retro is absolutely fine with us, isn't it, Chris? Yes, it is. Um, and we're also supported by our Patreons over at patreon.com forward slash this week in retro. Uh, and we're grateful to all 69 of our current Patreons. And if you'd like to join them and ruin that number, um, then do go and sign up. <laughs> we'll welcome you on board in the next housekeeping. Uh, the housekeeping section is where we talk about anything related to the show itself. And something I've done this week is try to work out why my supposedly 30 frames per second webcam was only recording in 15 frames per second. Something to do with lighting, but I had to go for extreme amounts of lighting to get it to 30 frames per second. So I swapped to a different webcam. I've also tried to fix some of the sound issues I'm having as well. Um, if you do pick up something that's wrong, please do let us know. Uh, we want you to enjoy this. So if something isn't quite right, you let us know so we can fix it. Yeah, um, it but makes the, all the house... difference on a podcast, making sure your webcam works, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Neil. 
<laughs> now the housekeeping yeah. section is also for updates on previous stories and there's a great little one that I saw submitted this week um, the Amiga 500 Mini we've covered before but it's had an upgrade and it's now possible to emulate an Atari ST on it so it really is a great little thing now so versatile thank you for Dr. Local for the update link in the show notes what an now upgrade the, eh? yeah upgrade, yeah <laughs> <laughs> not one of our stories, but um, yeah, it's nice to pick out some of the stories that we're not going to go into full depth in um, in the housekeeping section. I don't know how I feel about this because I love the fact that something like an Amiga 500 or VA 500 Mini is dedicated to just that one machine. It's, that's, that's its purpose. So when it starts becoming a general emulation machine, you start yeah. to think, wow. I think oh, I, I, I would want mine, if I had one, I don't. I would want it to boot into the Amiga, but have the option to be able to escape out of it and do something else. But mm-hmm. for it to be switched on and become an Amiga when you switch it on, um, well, I don't think you they can do lots yeah. of different things. You could do lots it, of different it doesn't things actually do that. Anyway, it, it boots into a sort of modern game picker is what it actually does and the emulation uh, kicks in when you choose the game so i I think i I think going into toss is is absolutely fine yeah why not yeah i mentioned some weeks back now how i tend not to collect printers because of the space that they take up primarily and everything else like combining all the work that you need to to find the um the drivers for them to work on whatever operating system you want to use ancient drivers tracking those down on archive.org or wherever tracking down ancient um ribbons or cartridges and just all the work in setting them up it just feels like the the reward doesn't pay off for me however i am sometimes asked if i have a dot matrix printer specifically dot matrix because bizarrely people are nostalgic for the sound of an impact printer chuntering away a noise i might add that spawned an entire industry of soundproof boxes because we didn't want to listen to them in the office back in the day but nostalgia is a funny old thing so Thanks to the dev den area that I'm building in in the cave, there will be an exception made. Um, Jason has said that he wants to get a dot matrix printer specifically to print off the reams and reams of code on 8-bit games on a big stack of folded paper and a tractor feed. And that's fine by me. That can be his problem in his area. And from time to time, people can enjoy the sound of it. So there will be a dot matrix printer here at some point for however long it works and until Jason gets fed up of it. But the size of something like a vintage Epson LX printer is nothing compared to this new creation. YouTuber and tinkerer Ryder Calm Down has turned his pickup truck into a printer. So Hackaday picked up this story, which was shared on our subreddit by StarK2084. Thank you for sharing it. And Ryder takes us through the build process in his video. He demonstrates it in use, and it rather cleverly consists of a Raspberry Pi, a row of solenoids, uh, water pipes connected to those solenoids and then the pie is connected to a board which can trigger the solenoids as a truck drives down the road and then a message is tapped out using the water as the ink and the road is the medium and it works so viewed from above you see these large wet letters on hot tarmac and you can read it and you you can read it from uh, eye level as well if you sort of stand at the right angle you see these elongated letters across the tarmac Now, some have described it as a dot matrix printer because the letters are made out of a matrix of dots. But if we're going to get into it, I would, you know, I I would suggest that um, it doesn't impact on the road. So it's not really a dot matrix printer. For me, dot matrix printers impact. That's right, don't they? They impact on the river. So, 
yeah, the the pickup truck is not driving down the road, hammering into the road. That would throw up all kinds of other questions. So it's a bit more like an inkjet in its operation, mm. I suppose. So this isn't really retro, but it is a fun project and it prompts a discussion. Firstly, I learned that Epson and others, no doubt, continue to make new dot matrix printers with their LX, FX, and LQ range, all, all names that will be familiar to people that have been in the industry for a very long time. They, they still continue. There is a whole world of brand new dot matrix printers out there. Um, and why wouldn't there be? You know, there is a need for them. Uh, Impact-based printing for things like printing payslips, for example, with carbon copy paper, all, all kinds of reasons. Um, I think the last time I saw one was perhaps at a car hire desk, just chuntering out um, large receipts or somewhere like screw fix often see them at places like that hardware stores um, so they, they are around although i have to admit when i see them they do tend to look really old I've, I've not seen a brand new looking dot matrix printer behind a desk in a long time but they're out there now i remember um having a dot matrix printer at school I remember borrowing a Canon BJ10 and a laptop and thinking printing on the on the move was really cool. I remember supporting HP LaserJet 4s, which came out in the 90s at, at work. And with a bit of maintenance and, and keeping those rollers supple, you know what I'm talking about. If you've had to look after a LaserJet 4, they would stay in service for over a decade, churning out prints reliably. But I can't for the life of me remember what I had on my desk at home. After the initial excitement of getting a printer in the first place, it just became a utilitarian box and a source of expense when the ink ran out. So let's talk about printers. Dave, talk us through your printer-owning journey. Have you got any more excitement for printers than I have? Have you got any memory of, of, of what you had? I think so. I'm really fond. I'm really fond of the first printer I have. Um, the printer I have now is an Epson thing that I got for really cheap price um a really cheap price maybe 10 or 12 years ago um and it's worked reliably ever since it's never had a problem people talk about all sorts of problems with modern printers i, I seem to be the luckiest man in the world um occasionally i have to do a head clean on it but apart from that it's fine but I've, i don't have the same nostalgia towards it i do towards the first printer i had a star lc10 oh yes now it wasn't the color one and the color one, I, I don't know if the color one came out at the same time or came out um, afterwards, um, but um, it was just a black and white one. I think we got it with, I think we got it after we got the Atari ST, not when we had the Amstrad. I don't think I connected the Amstrad to it, but I'm not sure. Maybe I did. Uh, and not long ago, I was looking at eBay for listings of them. I was thinking about buying one, but eventually decided, no, don't buy it, Dave. You don't really have any use for it at all. It'd be nice to have it, but I don't really have a use for it. Maybe I will still buy one to stick it in a cupboard in case I want it later. You know, that old fear of, of, of missing out the FOMO in case I later <laughs> decide I want one and I can't get it. Um, I've never, never had FOMO for a dot matrix printer, Dave. <laughs> well, I know, but I get FOMO for everything now. Um I don't remember it being exceptionally loud, but then again, the Star LC10 was not. A, it wasn't a, an office printer. It wasn't a, a, a high um, a high volume printer. So maybe that's why. Um, I do think when um, it was Neil. Oh, I was just going to say, I don't think it was always the volume of it. Sometimes it was just the fact that you would print things on a tractor feed like the month's pay slips 
or um, sales results that would take so long to print that you would hear the sound for, for maybe yeah. an hour and it just mm. became like a horrible drone. So yeah, I do remember installing them in boxes in offices that I worked at. Yeah, I think it was when it was doing a, an image, it was louder. When it was just doing normal, um, normal quality rattling through a listing, for example, it wasn't too bad. Um, but I, I remember the rattling it away with a tractor fed paper, and I don't remember it being too unpleasant. Um, I have fond memories of using it to print off manuals for for three games um, and lots more, I'm sure. But three games in particular, Laser Squad for Dragon's Breath, and whichever it was of the flight sims that I got into, I've never found out which were the two it was maybe f29 retaliator don't know um whichever the flight center was i print off the whole manual these great big thick printouts not quite the same as having the original manuals but still very enjoyable and much better than blending around in pirate games without a clue what i'm doing so i did enjoy that and i did also play with the, the dtp side of it, the desktop publishing side of it the atari st was quite often used for that, things like Calamus, etc. The, the Atari ST was great for um, word, uh, word processing and DTP. I know people thought of the Mac for that, but the Atari ST did a lot of that. So quite often on the cover discs, cover discs of magazines you get, you would get utilities and kind of knockoff programs to do that kind of thing. Calamus was the, the DTP program, was it? Did, yes. that, did that go on to be bought by anyone or become anything that we might know in the modern day? It went on to become Calamus on Windows, I think. Um, okay. So it moved from the Atari ST to Windows. I don't think it exists now. I think it's eventually ceased, but it, I think it, it lasted until maybe five or ten years ago. Um, sure. So it, it lasted a while. There was other ones as well. I never used the, the, the proper fully commercial ones. Uh, I think they often came with a dongle as well. Um, I, I just played around with what came in the cover disc, and quite often you would get someone's kind of attempt to do a PD version of the popular software wasn't quite as good. Hmm. I remember the first, like, I guess, proper DTP program I used was Quark Express in the 90s. Mm, I remember that. Yeah. I, and I got training for it, and it was so refreshing to be able to pinpoint exactly where i wanted everything having used something like microsoft publisher mm. where it's like oh you don't want that there let's just yeah. chuck it over there you know so uh it was so it was so powerful to see a proper dtp package yeah. um did calamus fall into that yes range? It, yeah. it, it was proper WYSIWYG. so so the WYSIWYG was a thing that we talked about in school as if it was a huge big deal and now nobody mm. mentions it but WYSIWYG was what you see is what you get and the idea being that with a earlier word processors what you what you saw in the printer was not necessarily at all what you saw on the screen uh, whereas with WYSIWYG packages desktop publishing what you saw on the screen was exactly what well, hopefully, exactly what you saw on the printer if they did it right. Um, so I, I remember playing with those and it would print the it would print the document as an image. So rather than, mm. the, than the, the standard font that the printer used itself where you would just send the, the data to the printer to, to tell it what to print, you would send the image to the printer of the things and you would get really fancy scripted fonts and so on for it. So I remember playing around with that. Yeah, because some dot matrix printers even had a display on the front which told you what font mode it was in. That's right. You could press it to change the font physically That's on right. the printer, couldn't you? That's yeah. right. That was, I'm sure that was an option on the style LC10. Um, so I, I fiddled around with that. I didn't do anything productive with it, but I love playing with the little things that we got on the cover discs. Um, but there is something I, I really like 
like about dot matrix printers, even just peeling off the tractor feed from the sides <laughs> and then separating the pages and turning into proper A4. Um, even just doing that is very pleasant. And I didn't know they were still making dot matrix printers. I've seen them around, seen the odd one around. Um, but like Neil, uh, they've, they've looked extremely old. And I thought, well, they're, they're, they're using that, but they won't be able to replace it. But no, I didn't, I didn't know they were still making them. So it makes me really happy to hear that it's still happening. I think there's something really efficient about the technology because it's sending... Um, it's it's not sending images to the dot matrix printer. It's just sending data, and it turns it into its own characters there. It rattles it out. It's fast. It's efficient. It's simple. Um, I, I do like it. But sadly, I can't replace what I have in the house because if I do replace it, most of what I print is packing labels, and they have barcodes and QR codes, and that's where a dot, dot matrix printer can't really do the job. So probably I reckon stick you, with could, what I have. you could get a dot matrix to do a QR code. Surely, as long as I know, but it wouldn't. You wouldn't. Be, you wouldn't fine. It wouldn't be sending in this in the, in the font that the dot the dot matrix uses. It, it, it'd be printing an image, in which, in which case it's 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 not mm. as good. You'd have to go the really high res of twenty four pin. Yeah. I yeah. thought you were talking yourself back around to buying a dot matrix printer there. You, you nah. nearly did. You nearly did. Nah. Have nah. you, uh, just just on the story itself, have you seen the truck printer? Yeah, it, it's cool. Um, I, I, I at first thought that's not really legible. And then when you saw the overhead shot, it's incredible how, how, how it turns into the text. It's true. Yeah, it's well done. Chris, how about you? Tell us about your printer journey my printer journey <laughs> what a bizarre question you come up with neil um yeah i mean I, I i can't remember which model my first printer was the first machine we hooked up a printer to was the amiga 500 and it was my brother that bought the printer um star certainly rings a bell epsom rings a bell. were the star printers did they use an epsom driver i just seem to remember having to use the most generic driver from workbench I yeah, think you'd have to choose I, what type of printer it was, wouldn't you, within Workbench for it to. I think Epson was was a was a Epson became the generic driver. I think that's what I'm thinking. Tried to, yeah, tried to yeah. be an Epson as far as compatibility was concerned. That's what I'm thinking. But anyway, it was a black and white. The the original one we got. I don't remember getting color until I left. Well, it printed home, white. In fact, mine was yeah. only black. Yours was only black. No, I had the white one. Yeah, you had to have both. <laughs> in order to print black and white oh dear dave um but yeah so i remember printing homework up on it which wasn't really the dumb thing back then and it was actually a, a free prose this is weird mercenary comes up in almost every single episode but we were given a free prose piece for english and i wrote this fictional piece but i actually based it on the world as i saw it from the game mercenary and described these crystal buildings rather than wireframe obviously in the game i said there were crystal buildings um, and just came up with this short story and when i say short it was about 5000 words which is not the kind of thing we did at our school only because i could type it and edit it and print it and that's what i submitted that's that's funny because uh, i remember for some homework once at school um I'd forgotten to do it and it was a last minute, get the homework done, some kind of creative writing thing. So I basically just wrote a four page condensed version of Total Recall and submitted <laughs> it as my own work. Because <laughs> I've just it. watched it the day before. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Dave, you, you think, have any? Yeah. Do you think that your teacher actually read that, those 5,000 words? <laughs> or do you think that knowing what we know now about, about how things are in the real world, they got two paragraphs in and thought, Oh, for goodness sake. Probably Chris. that. Yeah. 
they were like, oh, no, somebody's actually done some work and I'm meant to read it. I don't think so. I remember she did question. There was a couple of times at school when I just suddenly decided to put the effort in, which I didn't usually do, and I would get pulled up on it and say, is, is this actually your work? And it genuinely was. It was just suddenly I was interested in the subject matter, so I actually spent time on it. So yeah. It was only going to end in one of two ways. Is this your work or why can't you always work this well? Yeah. You're, you're never going to do It leads into favors. that. <laughs> it always leads into the second point. Um, but in terms of printers, I haven't – well, I have got a dot matrix printer. It's sitting on the shelf. I was going to pull it out, but it's really not worth you even looking at. I got it for free, and all I've done so far is confirm that it doesn't work, and I'm like, well, that's as far as that goes at the moment. And the whole – the very reason that is there is it's it's all LGR's fault. It's all Clint's fault. Clint, I know you listen. It's your fault. Because way, way, way back, like I didn't think I would ever have nostalgia towards printers or printing or whatever. They're the last mechanical piece in the perfectly digital world that is computing, and that's the bit that fails along the line. And Neil, I know you've done IT support as well. It's the worst bit of the entire chain um, because so many things can go wrong with a printer. And then LGR did this this um, video ages and ages ago about a dot matrix printer and printing banners and all that kind of stuff. And just hearing that hammering onto the page, that noise going back and forth. And it's like, yeah, no, I've got, I've got to have that. I've got to hear that with my own ears in the flesh. So at some point I will get one. Um, and I had, I think it was nostalgia nerd is where I found out about that. The, the, the modern Epson um, dot matrix printers quite a while back. And I have looked them up. Uh, I did as soon as I saw that video and they're just not cheap. That's the only reason I haven't bought one of them. That's probably the best way to go because they're brand new. You can get the ribbon and you know it's going to work. But like $500 Australian for the cheapest version, which is the nine pin, that's a lot of money actually when you could probably get a working secondhand one for a lot cheaper. Dave? Oh, you could trade up your CDTV for that. Oh! Just- <laughs> yeah, the, the dot matrix printer is more useful. Um just a wee question about these modern dot matrix printers. Are they like the same sort of size that we used to have back in the day, or they they are? It there's a range. Like there, there's small like ones. It. There's yeah. wide ones. There's, there's the, yeah. You've got all the options. Yeah, and, and because the, the technology. I, I know you say it's the last mechanical thing that we had, but mm. a, a bubble jet or inkjet or whatever you want to call it, a laser. There's a lot of mechanical stuff going on in those as well. Oh, I'm you saying printers in general. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Because okay. in general, yeah. are mechanical. They're the last mechanical piece along the digital chain. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're yeah. right enough. So, yeah. Chris, just, just, just again to keep us on story. Did you watch the truck printer? I did indeed. Of course. There's, there's a truck. It's car related and computer related. Um, yeah, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, it was, it was really cool to watch. There you go. An in-depth analysis there from Chris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if this interests you, check out Rider Calm Down's video. There'll be a link in the show notes. And uh, watching it, I just wondered if this idea might be expanded upon in future videos because it's not really going to work in the UK when we've got our wet weather here. We would need maybe um, an option that shoots flames out and can blast the wet roads and spell out words in the rain, perhaps. Um, or maybe the water could be replaced with a sort of water-soluble paint for a more colorful finish maybe you could have multiple colors have a a color printer or something as long as it washes away and doesn't leave anything toxic in the process that could be fun um lots of fun that could be had with it and all without the um eh, i'm trying to do an impression of a dot matrix printer Eh, how does it how does it sound like that dave <laughs> no, I'm not even closer. No, I think Chris, 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 oh, without the sounds. 
But if you do hear that sound coming from your pickup truck, you'll probably want to get it down to the garage to get looked at pretty fast. <laughs> I think I can do a better one. Go on. Oh, that's good. That's how they sound. That's pretty accurate. Time now to say thank you to our sponsors, pixel.addict.media is where the place you need to go to check out Pixel Addict magazine. And uh, it's that time of the the month or the six-weekly cycle where we've covered the current magazine several times. We're desperate for a new magazine to come out. I haven't got anything to talk about because I've, I've, I've talked about everything on the, on the existing magazine. Dave, have you got anything to shout about? No, I finished reading it th- about three weeks ago, and it, it, I, 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 I've got nothing else to say, but it's been so long now. Where's the new issue? It's the new issue. If, Come on, Pixel I, Addict. If I go to my newsagent one more time, the young girls in there are going to get out a restraining order. It's not on. <laughs> yeah, but that's nothing to do with the magazine. No, no. Why are you talking about that, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. We're talking about the sponsorship slot, yeah. No, uh, we're due a new one. I think next week we'll be talking about the new magazine. They, even if it's not out yet, they sometimes let us give us a preview of what's going to be in it, anticipation from the, the cover, etc. But yeah, where, where is it? Six weeks is, is, is not quick enough. I've also found myself more and more looking for it, like even though I've got a copy and I don't need another one. It's like, are, are they stocking it? Like service yeah. stations and things like that. Um, I'm finding no success in the WH Smiths in service stations, but I am on the high street. So I don't know if they've got a different, you know, they don't think people want to read Pixel Addict magazine while driving. I don't know. But um, I couldn't find it. What's your favourite magazine to read while you're driving? Have you got a, have you got a magazine hole in your steering wheel? <laughs> I could 3D print one. I haven't got one at the moment, Dave. <laughs> Something with lots of pictures. Pixel.addict.media. Pixel.addict.media um, for yeah for a magazine. We yeah. we can do better than this, guys. We'll have to do better next this week. Bad even by our standards. Yeah. I know. All right. It's because we don't have a guest to drop in it. Yeah. Pixel.addict.media. Yeah. Buy it. Everyone loves finding hidden secrets in games, be it references to pop culture or literature that are fairly obvious or things that most people won't understand, secrets between you and the developer. And I think developers might want to put their own secrets in that perhaps nobody will ever see, but have them in plain sight for their own amusement, knowing that people go past it all the time and nobody knows what it really means. I know that back in the days of the Atari 2600 and Atari's heyday in the arcade, Atari were reluctant to let the developers get their names on the cartridge games and in the arcade games. So listening to the Ted Dabney Experience podcast, uh, I picked up a few ways that they were clever about putting their names and so on in. Now, today's story was submitted by um, Solipsium, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, and I think it's probably one that the developers expected few people to see. Um, now, I expect that the answer to this question, uh, guys, is no, but I'll ask it anyway. Have you ever taken hallucinogenic mushrooms? <laughs> Neil? No, I have something else to say about, uh, on the subject of Easter eggs, but I will in a minute. Um, on, on the subject of mushrooms, no. I've had friends who at times have said, hey, we really should get some and try some, but it's it's, it's never happened. Um, so no, Chris. No, the closest I've been is playing Far Cry Four, and anybody that knows that's played through that knows what I'm talking about. Well, 
The good news is that you can now experience hallucinogenic mushrooms if you play Ultima 7 Part 2. Uh, it's not easy to find, though, and I think that probably explains why nobody seems to know about it, even though the game is 30 years old. One of the, the Exalt creators, now Exalt is a, is a replacement engine for the Ultima 7 um, part one and part two data files. Um, one of the creators, Marzo, was sniffing around in the code and found that a certain state is triggered fairly late into the game. And if it's between midnight and 7 a.m., and if you double click on exactly the right mushroom, and only then a one in seven chance, your character will take flight in the game. And I think by that point, which it can happen in the game, it's really quite late into the game by the time the Banes appear. Um, You've probably seen lots of mushrooms, you're not clicking on them. Neil? When you say you have to click on the right mushroom, do you mean the right type of mushroom of which there are many of them in the game? Or is there just one mushroom in the whole world? There are lots of different graphics of mushrooms in the game, and there's only one particular model of mushrooms right. okay. that you see in the background. So by the time you get to this point in the game, you're maybe two-thirds of the way through it, maybe even later. Um, so you've probably stopped clicking on the background stuff that you've seen the whole game. So that's why it doesn't work until this point. So that's why you probably don't see it, because at that point you're not clicking on it. Um, but it did make me think about things, uh, because the truth is that Ultima 7 is probably the most Easter egg game that I can think of. And we didn't know it back in the day, but it's absolutely packed full. And since I'm doing a playthrough of Ultima 7 myself, I thought I'd give you a rundown of what I think is amazing as far as it's concerned. Now, at the time, Origin had been bought by Electronic Arts, uh, EA, back in the early 90s. I know everybody thinks that EA is great now, but back in the early 90s, EA didn't have that good a reputation. Um, the Things were not going well between Origin and EA. And in a previous game, they'd taken, in Ultima 6, they'd taken aim at Trip Hawkins, um, through the calling a pirate, um, the bad guy in the game. But by the time Ultima 7 came around, Trip was, while he was still at EA, he was actually doing mostly 3DO stuff, trying to get it up and running. Now, the basic plot in Ultima 7 is the Guardian, who's known as the Destroyer of Worlds. And hang on a minute, the origin slogan is that we create worlds. So that the, the Guardian is EA trying to destroy Origin. And his servant, Batlin, has created the Fellowship, which is a, a sort of religious cult which Richard Garriott has based on Scientology. Um, I think at times in the past he said, no, it wasn't. And then at times in the past he said, yes, it was. It's fairly obvious it was, though. There's lots of things that are deliberately to make it that way. The, the questions that they ask you, uh, Batlin being a, a caricature of L. Ron Hubbard, um, even a dislike of healers in the game, um, and in the game, you're constantly on the chase of two bad guys, Elizabeth and Abraham, E and A. E and A, of course. Um, yep. Later on in the game, you're trying to get a cube, a severe, and a tetrahedron, which happened to be the EA logo at the time, a severe, a cube, and a tetrahedron. And there's dozens of cultural references in the game too. It's just packed full of them. Um, I've added a couple of links in the show notes if you want to have a look through it more of them. Um, it's really interesting going through the lists. But when I played the game, I'd have been probably age 16 or so, 17 perhaps, and I'd be lucky if I spotted more than half a dozen cultural references. I wouldn't have known anything about EA and Origin, anything there at all. I'd imagine the majority of players wouldn't until something unexpected happened 
Uh, this is a 1992 game. When the internet came about um, and people started using it, games players started using it a lot more in, in the mid and late 90s, they started to talk, and that's when you got these lists of Easter eggs and people talking about things they spotted being compiled, and they got, I guess, caught uh, that way. And I remember looking at Usenet and picking it up that way. Uh, now, Neil, I know that you love a bit of Ultima 7, and I know that you've interviewed both Richard Gallia and Trip Hawkins. Um, which one do you believe more, by the way? Oh, that's a difficult one to answer. I think they're both honest people with their own very polished version of events that they've, you know, um, nurtured over the years. Um it depends what the exact topic is that they're talking about, I guess. Yeah, I don't. I I, I don't think any either of them have been intentionally dishonest about things. No. I think they have their own perspective. And they told the truth based on that. When I've looked at your stuff, um, but did you know any of these directions in, the, in Ultima Seven and references back in the day, or was it only afterwards you found out about them? Uh, well, there's one very obvious one which I did know about back in the day, which is the crashed Kilrathi ship in the cornfield. Um, oh, yeah. So that's just a spaceship that is totally out of place in the game because it's crashed from outer space. And, of course, it's a ship from Wing Commander, which was... Uh, double-click on it, it plays the Wing Commander theme. That's right, yes. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't a particularly well-hidden Easter egg. It's no. just outside the main city. Um, and, and you walk past Wing it on Commander. one of the first things you do. Wing Commander is the other franchise that Origin had that was really successful at the time. So that was just a, really a, a crossover, I guess. That's right. Chris Roberts, Wing Commander. I mean, on the on the subject of Easter eggs in general there uh, and references, cultural references in games or movies or whatever, there is nothing worse than a forced cultural reference. Hey, guys, look at this. You get this, don't you? Isn't this a cool reference? It has to be something that you accidentally discover um, yeah. and you uh, to, to the point where you're like, Oh, I wonder if anyone else has ever spotted this, or am I the only one? That's the that's the joy of it. Yes, feeling yeah. like you've uncovered something. Um, there, there, there are other ones in Ultima. Some that I knew about, some that I didn't, because I had a little read up on the on the website that you referenced. Um, there's a bunch of characters in there um, on a particular island who are modelled around the Star Trek crew. <laughs> I didn't know about that. <laughs> I didn't piece that together. Um, there's a troll doll in the game, apparently, carried by just one person because trolls, you know, the toys with the big fuzzy hair, they were really popular at the time. Just like us. Colourful hair. Um, so there's one person, and you don't need to kill them, but if you happen to kill them and check their body, they just happen to be carrying a troll. Um and then my favorite one, which I discovered today, did you know in Ultima 7 Part 2, uh, is that the Serpent Isle, Dave? Mm -hmm. You know, but yeah. That's right. Um, there is a glowing egg named Dave. Um, apparently, <laughs> Dave the egg is in the data files. So somebody peeking through them has found it. And I don't think the object has ever been found or was maybe not even used in the game. So no one's ever seen that. But Dave the egg is there. So the cameo <laughs> that you always dreamed of, Dave, is right there. I'll take it. It's not about me. It's about one of the, the, the guys that worked on it. I can't remember his surname. It's not about me, but I'll take it. I'll pretend it's me, Dave the Egg. Chris, you haven't played Ultima at all, I don't think. No, I haven't. But no. can you remember? No, you, I, I'm not suggesting you no. do. I don't, I don't know how. It's been how great having you on the show, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it's the end. Goodbye, can, you remember, can you remember spotting Easter eggs back in the day? Or do you rely now on finding out about it from other people? 
No, definitely some back in the day. And one that I've literally only just thought of, not an Easter egg, but more of a cultural reference, is it really gave me a giggle first time playing Swiv when one of the spaceships takes off and it leaves crop circles. That was so funny. Oh, yeah. So that was a nice cultural reference. But in terms of Easter eggs, um, I mean, Doom 2, I can't remember which level it is, but there's one um, wall that you push before one of the exits and it takes you into a Wolfenstein 3D level. So that was nice. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also, obviously the, the most well-known one is at the end of Doom 2, the last level, if you go no clip so you can walk through walls, um, then basically you walk through the big head that's shooting out all the things and it's the face of John Romero inside and, and that's the actual hit point that you have to kill to complete the game. And we discovered that back in the day because we were cheating. It was the only way to finish yeah. the frigging game was to actually walk through the wall and we, we killed him with a chainsaw. It was great fun. Neil? This is so Chris. Chris, have you played Ultima? No, but I've played Doom. <laughs> yeah. And this is the guy that says, we don't cover Doom plays on stories. <laughs> we just do Doom segues from another story stories. That's what I do. Uh, but, you know, you've asked about Easter eggs. Those are the two that, that, that um, jump yeah. out at me from back in the day. Um, but also, and again, it's another first-person shooter, but and this, is, this is confession time, all right? And I remember this clearly, my first ever forum post on a forum ever on the interwebs, like the first forum I ever signed up to was a gaming forum because I thought this would be hilarious. And I went on to this gaming forum that I've only just discovered and there was a discussion about um, Perfect Dark on the N64. And I put this <laughs> put this post together detailing how you can unlock the cerebral bore from Turok 2 as a weapon in Perfect Dark. There's this particular corridor where these guards come and start shooting and there's some um, wooden crates and you have to, I, I detailed how you have to let the guards shoot at you but duck behind the crates so that they explode the crates but it's the bottom crate that has a cerebral bore in and then once that's unlocked you can use it in multiplayer, blah, blah, blah. I made the whole thing up. I was just trolling. My first ever internet post was a troll post. None of it was true, but I was having fun. Um, yeah, my account got removed from the forum, but I don't care. I had a giggle. <laughs> so they, they, they recognize that as, as just a, a bare-faced lie from uh, from you, or no, did the, some people spend time and eventually they well, got angry? My hope is that some people spent time, wasted hours, and eventually got angry at me because that's just the sense of humor is the thought that people would be there going, oh, just, oh, and just dying over and over, trying to get the guards to shoot the crates, not at them. Yeah, I'm sorry. If anybody I'm read that post back in the day, I'm sorry. Disappointed. The fake Australian <laughs> strikes again. Yeah, you're yeah. a horrible liar. <laughs> horrible liar. Um, there are dozens and dozens of Easter eggs and cultural references in Ultima 7. I wasn't, I, I'm not exaggerating to see how many there are. And I had a, a great time reading through them all on the Ultima Codex site. I've read the list before. I think, again, I think at the end of the 90s, that people started bringing them together uh, on Usenet. Just a quick question, Dave. Um, does the flying by using magic mushrooms in Ultima offer any advantage over flying with the magic carpet? Because there's that hidden away in there as well, isn't there? Don't think you can get the magic carpet in, in Serpent Isle. Oh, okay. I'm fairly sure that's Ultima 7 only. Well, Ultima 6 and Ultima 5 as well. Um, but I don't think you can get the magic carpet in Part 2. Okay. Uh, but I know that the flying, you can move about. It raises you up Z level, so you can move over obstacles. Does with it take it your whole party it. with you? Because you get your party on the magic carpet and you ferry them all know. around. No, I don't know. I've, I've actually joined the, the Ultima um, Discord 
uh, last night and asked if anyone has footage of this because it's difficult to recreate. So hopefully, I'll get. Fo- oh, you, uh, hopefully, Duncan will have footage of this by the time that this goes there. No pressure, like Duncan. Just play the whole no of Ultima Seven, <laughs> two thirds of no the Duncan, way. No, Duncan. No, Duncan. No, we don't need <laughs> you to do that. Um, but hopefully, someone's given us footage and given us permission to use for it. But yeah, it's um, it's incredible. But I don't think we have enough Ultima coverage on this podcast. So I, I think <laughs> and I hope there will be more Ultima stories coming up. There's one in particular I'm keen to see on the subreddit, but I won't submit it myself. I'll see when it turns up because it's a, a great Ultima story coming up hopefully soon. Great. And Chris, your homework is to go and play Ultima 7. All of the Ultimas. Yes. I, okay, yeah, just okay. 7. I would start with 7. I, I think I might seven. have it on GOG. I think, was it given away for free? I don't know. I'll have a look. I went to a bit of an interesting secondary school or high school for people that call it that, um, where the takeaway lessons were don't look the wrong person in the eye and snitches get stitches. In no, no, this is in Kent. Yeah. Oh, okay. In <laughs> yeah, Kent. In nonsense. Kent. In Kent. I have yeah, noticed nonsense. that people uh, uh, in the UK have started calling upper school high school now. Like, that's yeah. just normal. It grates with me a little bit. Secondary school. Yeah. I yeah. guess I've just moved with My the school was called the high school, though. So, uh, was it? Oh, okay. I wonder, I wonder okay. if it's one of these things that started here, moved to America, and is now coming back, and we don't realize that we're. It's like soccer. Soccer is, a, soccer is, is our term. Soccer is, is, is supposedly the right way. For, I, I don't like it, but soccer is apparently our word for it went over there and now coming back. There we go. Uh, and community college is another one. But anyway, let's get into the story. Another thing I learned at my secondary school was that you can control Lego using a BBC Micro. Uh, a friend of mine called Tim and myself, we spent many a lunch break in the sanctity of one of the technical studies classrooms, avoiding a beating and making stuff with Technic Lego hooked up, hooked up to the beeb. It seemed we attracted some attention as the teacher, Mr. Haynes, I remember him vividly, got us to showcase our creation to inspire some of the younger students. What we'd made was basically a robot arm um, that could pick up a Coke can and drop it in the bin. So long as the Coke can had the ring pull like pulled up in just the right way um, and the can was in exactly the right spot and the bin was in the exact same location every time, then it would work. But it, but it worked. Um, and we didn't, we didn't have instructions or anything. We just made it up and, and built it. Just want to point out that this is the same guy who the first thing he did on the internet was troll a forum of <laughs> troll a user base has been picked out to inspire the younger generation. There's that's a bit right. of a contradiction there, Chris. Uh, that's fine. It's absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it, it would seem somebody else has been tinkering with Lego and the exact same controllers, um, but has an Apple II in place of the Beeb. So Evan from the United States and YouTube channel Technically Evan spent the recent global event building, as he describes it, a near life-size big block V8 out of Lego that is controlled by the 8-bit Apple. So just some very quick details. Um, It's all pre-technic. He's basically kept this thing in a bizarre way, period, accurate in terms of it's a 70s motor. The only Lego he's used is pre-technic 1970s and 90s 80s lego from the export builders expert sorry builder series uh it's a chevy 454 ls5 v8 which you you would get in things like the corvette stingray it's got a working crankshaft it's got input and output shafts got a four-speed working gearbox with reverse working clutch 
eight cylinders, obviously, 16 valves. Um, and instead of, because obviously there's no fuel ignition and whatever, so he's actually got lights for the distributor cap, the dizzy, and the spark plugs. Um, and he's got nine Lego 4.5-volt motors in this thing. Dave? Are the rest of the York folk there, or is it just dizzy? <laughs> No, just Dizzy, just the Dizzy. Um, and controlling, the egg, including right? the Dizzy. Yes, I know the egg. Um, I hate the egg. Um, controlling all of it is basically Lego Controller Center, which was software for the IBM PC, Mac, BBC Micro, and the Commodore 64, and a couple of other formats that, as that, well, I think. That came out at the time, did it? Lego Control Center. That's not a. a that's a from the 80s. Yeah, that's yeah. from the cool. 80s. Um, and laser, uh, he, he was using a Laser 128 Apple II clone and the Lego set ni- 9750 controller boxes. Um, so you can look that Lego set number up still today and you'll see what we're talking about. Um, and you can see it all fully running while Evan explains the build in his latest video. So, um, Neil, first of all, I'll jump to you. What do you make of this? And did you ever tinker with controlling Lego or anything with, with your old systems back in the day? Hmm. Yeah, it makes me wonder if you could make that pickup truck dot matrix printer out of Lego. Ooh. Combine the two Ooh, yeah. projects. That could be fun. But nice. in terms of physically controlling something from your from your micro, there was always some magic in that. The magic of getting software to do something physical in the outside world, um, aside from printing, of course. So um, there were lots of kinds of robotic arm that you could interface computers with. Often saw those advertised in the magazines. Always very expensive, so I never got to get one. I do have here in the cave in amongst the tabletop games, I think it's called an Armatron, which is a, a robotic arm that sort of has three places where it hinges and it can rotate and it's got two pinching fingers and it's got two joysticks so you control the whole thing from the joysticks. It doesn't interface with a computer. But even that is super popular here with people because you know it's it's a robotic arm it's a digger it's a jcb it's a terminator hand all of these things that people want to to control and see if they can pick things up with it and it's got a little kit with it it's got a little barrel of nuclear waste and it's got a little kind of a box and you have to the the lid of the box is hinged so you've got to use the arm to lift the box up open it pick up the toxic waste drop it in the box close the lid again it's a fun little challenge that it makes a huge amount of noise when you're playing it as well that's the kind of thing I would have loved as a kid. And then the next level again is interfacing it with a machine and then writing a, writing some code to, um, I, I presume the code that you wrote was just a, a set routine that it followed. It wasn't getting feedback from anything. It wasn't going, oh, I've touched the can. I better go back. There were no cameras. It was just forward 10, down 10, <laughs> close. Oh, yeah, okay. And so you had to yeah. line everything up perfectly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I think the closest I ever got to anything like that back in the day would have been Big Track, you know, the little oh, yeah. tank with the keypad on the top, programming what it does and away it goes. But still, it wasn't interfaced with a with a machine. But um, yeah, I, it's probably something I will try and pick up at some point. A physical thing, a, an arm that I can interface with a, with a machine, just to satisfy that that need that that thing I always wanted. Yeah, a cybernetic arm. A cybernetic yeah. arm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we he shows the software on the on the video and it looks more like basic code and maybe it's a blurred memory. I don't remember it looking like that, so maybe we had some different control software. We certainly had the same control boxes, but I remember it being more sort of selectable operations. But maybe I'm just misremembering it, you know. So, but yeah, it's interesting, Dave. Yeah, I just spotted something there. It shows again that the Apple II 
in my head, the Apple II is the American BBC Micro. Mm. So where where we had BBC Micro, they had the Apple II. Um, I, I thought this it, was it. it could be argued that the BBC Micro is the British Apple II having come second. Oh, true. The Apple came first. Well, yes, but um, yeah, from my perspective, yes. I didn't know oh, yeah. about the Apple II until afterwards. But yeah, of course, mm-hmm. that's quite correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, 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 Hello in the comments that. section. Yeah, me off being, the section. It's not about being first; it's about being better. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> um, right. So um, this, this is amazing. Amazing what's been done here with with the Lego stuff. It's amazing. Um, I, I never really had any interest in that back in the day. I think I remember the BBC uh, Micro Turtle trundling about the floor. Um, I think Chrissy's actually got one of those what, those turtle things. I think there was a pen in it, and you could make it draw things. That's yeah. right. I they, remember they, right. That was the commands: pen down, pen up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that that was cool. Um, but I think it was one one for the school, so you never really had a chance to to sit and just muck about with it for an hour. Um, and I think I was done with Lego around the time I was old enough for the Technic Lego stuff to come out, and that was because we got a computer in the house. As soon as I got a computer in the house. I wanted to explore other worlds. I didn't want to do anything technical in our world. I wanted to go and explore other worlds, and that's why I think Lego just died a death for me when I got the the, the, the Amstrad CPC, um, and there was never enough time to even do what I wanted to do in that. So that, that that's um, this isn't something that particularly um, was something I was doing back then. It did get to a price point with the Lego Technic where you would look at it and you'd go... I like the look of it. I'd love to play with that, but you know that's half the cost of a new computer, or that's for video yeah. games. It, it was not Lego on the whole is not cheap, and then Technic stuff took it to the next level again, didn't it? Yeah, as soon as you added the motor, electric motor, that was as far as we ever went in our household. That was the most expensive kit we could get with the forward and back, and that was it. That was as far as you got. Um, Big Track's a, a good analogy though. That I, I mean, I loved Big Track. Had one back in the day, but I do remember because my sister was a school teacher. I, mean, I did some work experience at their school, and they had a thing that it was dome shaped, and I had to help their class set up a map, a treasure hunt map, and come up with some activities to use yeah, this thing. Yeah. It, was it a turtle? But it wasn't plugged into a computer though. It was you programmed it with a keypad on the back of it. This particular oh, one, oh, okay. and I remember playing with it and thinking. This is just an overpriced big track. It's just literally somebody's <laughs> taken big track, made it more expensive, and sold it to the education sector because it was exactly the same. Yeah, a big track on an educational contract charged yes. five times as much. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But anyway, brown yeah. envelopes. <laughs> yes. But look, I, I just want to thank the algorithm for feeding me this story uh, because it involves cars, vintage systems, and Lego all in one. So I will confess, yes, it was me that submitted it to the subreddit, um, but it was yeah too good to, to not feature. Um, what it actually fed me was this story being covered by Lewin Day on thedrive.com. So it's obviously attached to the in, uh, attention of the car sector, you know, uh, that area of interest as well. So we'll include that link in the show notes. Um, and thanks to Evan for taking the time to build this creation and to share it with the world. And Evan also let me know, because I've made contact, that he's actually got a strong background in retro computing. So he's very interested to see when this episode comes out. So from 2004 to 2019, Evan says he was the founder and executive director of the, the Vintage Computer Federation, which is the nonprofit group in the United States that led to the VCF East, VCF West, and the VCF Museum. Uh, the VA is an amazing build. It's almost perfect. Sorry, Dave. 
I think VCF Midwest was, I think it was a VCF Midwest was was this weekend that just been there. Yeah. So it's All a right. nice little neat thing there. Yeah. Um, yeah it's a cool concept. Lots of, yeah. Lots of people go and show their stuff off. Yeah. I did, I've seen a few short clips of, of the show and it is, um, you know, proper really interesting obscure micros and mini nice. computers and, and things that people have just very passionately looked after in their spare time for themselves you know there are amigas there and ataris and and all the common things as well but there mm. are some really bizarre looking machines when you look at the videos and i'd love to get over there one day that's cool yeah road trip to america that's cool. Yeah. Just to close up on the build, it's an amazing build. It's almost perfect. If only it was a Hemi and not a Chevy motor, and if only it was controlled by the superior BBC that Micro, that would make it perfect. It's all right. I'm just fishing for comments. <laughs> uh, but joking aside, Evan is planning further videos showing more in-depth how he actually created the motor and the lessons learned along the way. I've subbed because I love it, so can't wait. Time now for our community question of the week. So we'll start with last week's question, which was all about uh, maps, maps in games. What was the game we were talking about that had been mapped out so meticulously? Escape from Coldest. Yes. Hey. Oh, Escape from Coldest and The Great Escape. That's right, yeah. we were talking about those. So we had then put the question to you. Did you ever take the time to create your own map for a game? What did you do with it? Do you still have it? And Duncan has jotted down in the show notes an answer from him. He says, I once made a map for Fantasy World Dizzy, which spanned three sheets of A4. I sent it to Amstrad Action Magazine, but sadly it wasn't used. Um, oh. And he did mention this to us on the Discord. And I think he said they wrote back to him and gave him a check for £5, even oh. though they didn't use it, which was very nice. Nice of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the sort of thing that really enthuses you as a kid, even if it doesn't get published. It's like, oh, cool. Someone has acknowledged my work and that, that you know, just a nice thing to be acknowledged. So um, let's go to the answers. Dave, do you want to read out the, the top answer this week? Yeah. So Tungsten Orchid tells us that The Last Ninja, while it wasn't a huge game, I drew each screen of the game on millimeter graph paper. Originally, I did it to remember which enemies appeared on each screen, but later it was to show the entire journey as an unbroken path. Sadly, I don't think I have it any longer. I um, I, Last Ninja passed me by when it came out. I never saw it until until um, modern days, and I um, I can't get into it. It, um, <laughs> it, it looks such a chore to play and deal with the, the control system and all the rest of it. I think it's a game that you might need nostalgia and you also you need to want to be a ninja. That was such a thing in the 80s. Everybody wanted <laughs> to be a ninja. Ninja surfers, ninja skaters, yeah. ninja scooters, everything. Everything yes. ninja. Ninja Scooter Simulator, Neil. I know where you were going with that. That's your favorite game. Ninja Scooter. Could you imagine ninjas going around on scooters? I mean, that's so ridiculous. I can as a game <laughs> <laughs> it was so um, bad a, a modern remake of the last last ninja maybe last ninja 2 or last ninja remix which uses a system where you just fully rotate in 3d um i guess like resident evil but a little bit more um athletic um might work might be fun to try i don't know the second answer we've got here comes from Milap64. says, following on from my comment last week regarding the Gunship Gift Edition, I also um, have all of the Gunship Mission Maps, which have been redrawn in the same style as those that came with the big box versions of F-19 Stealth Fighter and F-15 Strike Eagle 2. 
The in-game map is only updated with enemy troop positions once they show up on your radar warning receiver or you visually spot them, so I pieced these maps together to show all of the possible locations that these troop placements can occupy. The locations themselves are fixed at the coordinates shown, but whether or not they are present in any given mission is somewhat randomly generated. The map started out as screen grabs from the Atari ST version of the game running under the Hatari emulator so that I could take a memory snapshot of the game just before selecting a mission. When the mission is started, you're always shown your primary and secondary targets. So by reloading the memory snapshot a couple of hundred times, I was able to eventually build up a fairly complete picture of all the troop placements on each map. Uh, and then they've put a link to a PDF of it's that. Good. Lord. Which is a virus, of course, and it's going to infect uh, our computers. Yes. Random PDFs called click on those. That's insane. So It's amazing. Just, but yeah. So by probing the memory map hundreds of times to spot the differences and the changes, they've mapped out every single position of every single troop, AA gun, infantry, SAM sites, depots, everything on every map. We need and to now you can see it And put these in our big boxes because they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's cheating now it's cheating <laughs> oh that's so good well done now that's that's very different to sitting down with a piece of graph paper and drawing something as you progress using your skill through the game it's using skill but skill of a different type it's the skill of um probing a computer's memory map and 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 mm. yeah putting that together hmm what do we think about that i like it i, I think like it's incredible it. incredible yeah. i don't care how okay. you do it that's fantastic <laughs> yeah and it does Chris, look like something you get in the box seriously as yeah that's true for your own collection i'd print those out um Chris, so hit, hit us with the third answer yep third answer lord borak 316 he says i tried drawing a map for aliens amstrad cpc when i was about six still ended up going round in circles years later i found a map in a spectrum mag for aliens i tried using it not sure if the specy version was different, but I still ended up going round in circles. Could never get to the queen at the end. There you go. It's a hard game. It's a hard game, uh, aliens. Uh, if, it's, if it's if it's the version I'm, I'm thinking about, the the, the the UK one. So it's actually mm. quite atmospheric and scary, even though it was an eight bit game. Um, but it's really yeah. difficult. I didn't I didn't get very far in it when I played it as a kid. Uh, and I got. A Are you thinking of the well. one where you just see sort of the view from the side and, and it sort of slides along from screen to screen? Is that the one you're? I'm thinking, thinking of? of the one where you, you you're it, it's, it's first person. Yeah, and you're you're turning around in the room. And sometimes person. there's eggs in the wall. Yeah, I don't think it was. Um, it was a long time ago that I liked. We are it. googling. Yep. I love aliens, and I never played it. Probably because I'm seeing isometric screenshots. No, definitely wasn't an isometric one. Maybe. Uh, hang on. We will research because I love to play aliens. Because I think when yeah. I was when I was aliens a Spectrum gamer, when I was a Spectrum gamer, I, I hadn't yet seen aliens. So my fascination with aliens came after that gaming period in my life, and ever since I've been fascinated with the franchise and with anything even closely related so yeah i think dave and i are talking about the same thing it's um it is first person but a a huge bulk of the screen is taken up by a hud and then you see kind of a static screen with doors and things like that Uh, i found it then yeah slide so it's it's by it's the activision one and it's called aliens the computer game it's made by electric dreams for activision and it's it, it, it it's amazing what it achieves on an eight bit computer. Mm, mm. It's hard. It's difficult. I know Zypho 
um he he got really into this and he using a map uh and he he managed to work it out and play it and finish the game um so it, it is possible it is quite a deep game for an 8-bit game but it scared the life out of me i'm gonna have to have it so thank you everyone for submitting your answers other answers included uh, mapping out heavy on the magic on the on the spectrum from snoo74360 namco talked about a text adventure called moron on the ZX Spectrum. I've never played Moron on the ZX Spectrum. Um, uh, a- Alien Breed is mentioned by Brassic Gamer. Mm. Um, okay. Blood Witch from TAC Reddit in Ponder. There's a controversy. There is a controversy there. And it's from Testa de Merda. Or de, de, de Merda. Um, and um, I regularly got a kick out of making maps. Um, yeah, School graph paper useful for this and alters designing sprites mostly for text adventure games. I remember tackling The Hobbit, Lancelot, and Red Moon, never completed as I recall. Melbourne House published a guide to playing The Hobbit, so I bought that and the map got binned. <laughs> I still have the book though. I did complete a map for Action Biker on the 800XL and it helped me complete the game. I sent this in to new Atari user and luckily it got published. And they never did send me my tipster badge. <gasps> and attached to it is an image of a page from Atari user, new Atari user, with the um, with the map. The map. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it looks to be true, but no tipster, no tipster badge. What, it even what says on that page at the bottom. You know, I'm a new Atari user tipster showing the badge, a tipster exclusive. Every reader sending in a new hint will get this badge. Is, was Atari Terrible. user bought out by Future Publishing because they bought everything else? If so, they still exist. Chase them up for your badge, mate. Yeah. <laughs> right then. Yeah, yeah right. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who participated in our question of the week. Um, this week's question of the week, unless anyone's got any better suggestions, is a contender for the world's most boring question of the week. What was your first printer and why was it not boring? <laughs> That's my question. Tell us, sex up your answer a bit so we can get excited about it. We want your sexy printer stories. What was the first? Any, any advance on that question? To, next week's question of the week. What's your favourite knitting pattern? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm pushing back on you, I'm Neil, here. I, I think it's an interesting thing. and It's a nice thing <laughs> to think about. It's an interesting talk. You don't, it doesn't need to be all zaps and pizzazz and all the rest Am of it. Am I not selling it? Am I not, not selling, selling it? it? Yeah. So this Dave, week, right, our you question, the question week, Dave. This it, week, our yeah. question week is, tell us about your first printer and why it was interesting to you tell us stuff about it yeah. uh, help us get excited about your first printer Ooh, and the memories nice. it has for you i'm very fond i talked about this rlc 10 today i'm very fond of it and i was very happy to hear they're still making dot matrix printers so I'm tell us those happy memories and put neil in shame for mocking nostalgia neil have you any thought that maybe that's not a thing you should be mocking given your job <laughs> <laughs> i am stoked to hear your answers guys can't wait to hear what printer you had See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) They're waving. Bye. Bye. Bye, -bye, folks. (laughs) Have a lovely weekend. See you next week. (laughs) This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agema, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Stiles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
and the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.